Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Welcome to episode 41 of Understanding the Law. Today we are here Monday, March 24th, doing something uh, a little out of the ordinary. We're on Monday and Thursday this week, um, but we have uh, Michael Parrish Dudell back on the show uh, later today, and we're going to pick his brain over some business topics. Uh, if you recall, he was on a few weeks ago. He is the best-selling author of Shark Tank, Jumpstart Your Business, and we talked uh, in a more esoteric fashion about starting a business and some of the, um, the ideas behind it. But today, the sole focus of the show is going to be about starting a business, practically speaking, and uh, Michael's going to be on. He'll be calling in later on and go through his list of items that uh, obviously you can't miss when you're starting a business. So thank you uh, for being here today with us, um, and we welcome any comments or calls that you have. The switchboard is 347-855-8831. Give a call. Ask your question on the air if it pertains to starting a business. I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's show, NY Carpentry. Uh, they can be found on the Internet at nycarpentry.com. They are a specialty European cabinet man, uh, installer. Uh, they work with many European cabinet manufacturers, so we thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, so let's get right to it, and I want to talk about some of the things that you'll find when you search the Internet concerning starting a business. And today we're going to be talking more towards uh, the, the small startup businesses, people that are not established businessmen or women, uh, but they're thinking about starting a business, whether it's by yourself or with employees. So anyone who does not have an existing business who's thinking about starting one, that's, that's what today's show is about. So if you go online and you search starting a business or top tips to start a business, you're going to find things like this. So this is on Entrepreneur, uh, obviously a very popular magazine. It's a very good magazine. But here are their six keys to start a successful business. Um, one, have a unique concept. Two, identify any barriers. Um, in other words, if there's somebody who's doing what you're doing. Three, choose an emerging market. And four, get a good network. Five, passion. And then six, Funding, have good credit is the, uh, is the specific entry. Have good credit. People aren't managing their credit. You'll need to call creditors and we work, rework your payment schedule and ask them about interest rates, okay? I think it's a nice list, but I don't think it's a practical list. And we'll get into that in a second, but just to touch on one point, 
who cares what your credit is? Sure, credit can affect funding. Depending on the type of business that you're going to be starting, it can have an impact. But I look at this list, and if I am an inexperienced um, person thinking about business, and I see have good credit, and I know I don't, well, what am I going to do? Turn around and say, oh, I shouldn't start a business because I don't have good credit? So to me, that list is, is nice, but it, it really doesn't talk about um, the practicality of starting a business. I don't care about your credit. Yes, credit's important. But in the context of starting a business versus not starting it based upon credit, I, I don't think that that's where you should be focusing. Here's another one. This is from the SBA.gov, the U.S. Small Business Administration. And they have their top tips to starting a business. They go with write a business plan, get business assistance and training, choose a business location, finance your business, find government-backed loans, determine the legal structure, um, understand your responsibilities, and uh, so on and so forth. Again, it's, it's a good list. It gives some general uh, ideas. But I want to talk today about practically speaking because, again, I mean, yes, it's important to do certain things. For example, important to have a, a plan, a direction. Is it important or critical to have a written 22-page business plan? It depends on who you speak. I say no. So I want to go through some of these myths that are out there, okay, such as, A, you have to have a formal written business plan. I say no. What you need to have is a plan. You need to have an outline. You need to have a direction, right? You need to know where you're going before you can start your journey. You don't get in a car and plan on going on a vacation without a destination in mind. Of course, unless you're independently wealthy and you can just drive around wherever you'd like to go, which is fine. I would certainly enjoy that. But for the purposes of business talk here, you need to have a direction. Before you get in your car to start your business, you need to know where you're going, right? You need a map. Does it need to be a 22-page book? No. Does it need to follow some sort of special format that you can download off the Internet, a business plan? No. What's important is that you have a direction. Okay? Another myth that I, I just, it blows my mind, as we were talking about it a few seconds ago, credit. Yes, it's important for a variety of reasons. Should it stop you from starting a business? Absolutely not. So let's move into the phases, as I call them, of starting a business. So phase one has got to be your planning phase. This is where you pull out your map and you figure out what your destination is. Where are you going? What do you want to accomplish? What sort of business are you interested in starting? You know, and this is, um, this is a, a, an interesting topic because I've spoken to a lot of people who have said, I want to start a business and now I have to find out what I want to do. I'm not going to say that those businesses can't succeed, but just thinking about, I want to start a business, let me look through 22 topics and see which one I like the best, it's not always the best way to go about it. You need to have a passion first. You need to say, listen, I really enjoy photography. I really enjoy uh, accounting and numbers. 
you need to figure out what you like doing and then build your business around that idea. Don't just say, hey, I want to start a business. Let's see, I could be a clown. I could make balloons at Wendy's. I, you know, whatever you come up with, that's not how to do it. What's your passion? Explore what you love to do because you're going to be doing it many, many hours, many, many days, many weeks, many months. Uh, you get the point. I mean, we're not talking about a nine-to-five job when you own your own business. You are in it for the long haul. If you're going to put your resources, your financial resources, your energy and effort, then you better make sure that it's something you Because if you don't like it, you don't have a passion for it, you will fail. Okay? You've got to really love what you're doing. There are going to be days that you don't want to wake up in the morning. There are going to be days that you don't enjoy going to the office. But you must have some passion for what you're doing. That's where you start. Have a roadmap that starts with passion, not with the idea of I want to start a business because you're not going to make it. So identify those things that you love to do. It could be landscaping. It could be contracting. You could want to own a retail store because you have an interest in comic books. Whatever it might be, find that special area where you've got some passion. Now, what I like to do in the planning phase, right, phase one, is I like to think about four W's. Who, what, when. Okay? Who? Who do you want to attract? Who, is you, who are you going to serve? Who are your clients? Okay? What? What is it that you're going to do? And that goes back to your passion. Where are you going to do it? Where, what physical location? What area of the country? What area of the town? And when? Okay? When do you want to start this? Is this something that needs a year's worth of planning? Is it something you can start in a month? Those are important factors. Some people will say, well, you left off the why, right? Of the who, what, when, where, why, you left off why. Well, to me, is going to incorporate that why question because what you're going to do is determined by your passion and therefore you'll know why you're doing it because you have passion for it. So I'm going to go with the four W's instead of the fives. So planning is very important. I said you don't need a formal business plan. I believe you don't. What you do need is some direction. So find your passion, number one. Write it down on a piece of paper. Then start to branch off. So if you like, for example, but let's stick with comic books for a second. Do you like comic books? What can you do with that? And I'm not talking about just liking it, but loving it. Well, you could start a retail store. Okay. So now you have an idea. Here's my passion. Here's what I want to do. Where do I want to do this? When do I want to do it? Who am I trying to reach out to? Am I reaching out to collectors? Is this store going to be uh, not just a retail comic book store, but something where I can buy and sell collectibles, where maybe I'll get customer base that is uh, more affluent. They have more spend on collectibles. Is that where I'm going with this? Am I just looking for comic book, casual comic book readers? Those sorts of things, you don't need a long business book plan that you can you know, spend months and months doing, but just give yourself some, some bullet points, some ideas. So where am I going to do this? What is the general locale? It doesn't matter if it's retail-oriented. It doesn't matter if it's a professional service, services business. These, these four W's, 
are going to be relevant to what you're doing. And that's how you formulate your business plan. Now, there are tons of ways of doing it. There are going to be people that are going to say, no, no, no. You know, Peter, what are you talking about? You need to have a formal plan. I disagree. I think you need to have formal direction. I think you need to have some idea of where you're going, and it does not need to be in the form of a 22-page business plan. But write it down on paper, because when things are put down on paper, they become more real. They become tangible. You can look at it. You can see it. You can think about it, because it's on paper. So once you get through that initial brainstorming session, that phase one plan, now you know what you want to do, what sort of business you want to get into. You know when you want to start it. You know who you want to attract. And this isn't you know, to the point where you're saying, all right, I have a demographic that I want to attract. I want uh, 18 to 25-year-olds. <coughs> Excuse me. But you want to have an idea if you're a comic book. Uh, enthusiast and you want to start a business out of it? Or are you going to stick with, um, you know, just plain retail? Have an idea. Once you have those ideas down, now you need to move into phase two. And phase two is really the initial filing phase. This is the point where you're going to start thinking about What's the business name? What sort of business structure do I need to follow? All right, so let's start with business structure. ton of questions all the time from people about, do I form an LLC? Do I form a sole proprietorship? Am I looking at a corporation, an S-corp? What's the distinction? How do I know what to do? Well, most smaller businesses are fine filing an LLC. It's a limited liability corporation. It has a lot of the same features and functionality of a corporation, except there are not all of the uh, very stringent um, filing requirements. So if you're going to file for an incorporated entity, you want to file you know, an INC, um, you have to have an annual meeting. You have to have a greater submission to the state on an annual basis. Uh, there's obviously also some tax issues and things like that. If you're interested in learning more about the specific types of business, you know, feel free to give us a call at 973-949-3770. Neither myself or another attorney will talk you through um, the different distinctions between the, the entities or the structures. But for all intents and purposes, today we just want to stay uh, a little more, more simplistic. An LLC, a limited liability company, is good for 90% of the people that are going to have a startup business. You have protection. It's not uh, exposing yourself you know, personally, like if you were a sole proprietor, because there there's very little, if any, legal protection. So, you know, obviously in LLC, it's easy to start up. It's easy to maintain. Uh, depending on my business, I would suggest that you look at the LLC first and then decide with the help of an attorney where you should go, S-Corp, regular corporation, or whatnot. But for the most part, you know, I think that the statistic in New Jersey is that 90% of all small businesses in New Jersey are limited liability corporations or companies. So, 
figure out what sort of business you want to start. Then you need to file that business, and that's going to incorporate selecting a name, searching the database to make sure that your name isn't already taken. And every state has a website where you can do this directly from. You're always welcome to call an attorney and have an attorney help you get set up. Depending upon the size and complexity of your business, you may want to do that. But there are many times, quite honestly, when you can do it yourself and there's nothing wrong with that. You go right to your state's website and serve up filing a business, starting a business within your state. For the most part, they've got these uh, like instruction guides that talk you through how to do it. So you select your company name. You make sure that it's available. If it's available, you move forward with registering your company, and what's going to happen is they're going to ask you for certain information. So, for example, what's your name? How many members are going to be in your LLC if that's what you're filing? Um, where's your, your physical business address? And these are things, by the way, that can always be changed and amended later. A lot of times you start a business and it's a home-based business until you can find a location. So it's okay to do that. Um, obviously, you've got to look at zoning issues within your town to make sure that you're permitted to have a home-based business. But that aside, if you select your home as the, the location of your business and six months from the time you file, you are in a location and you want to amend your filing, it's relatively easy to do that. Sometimes it can become complex depending upon certain factors like the size of your business and how well your state responds um, because the state really is just made up of people who are filing and changing papers and that sort of thing, and it can get lost along the way. But that's another story for another day. So don't be afraid to uh, put down a location and need to change it later. Don't be afraid to have a, you know, three members of your LLC and then need to change it later. It can all be done. It can all be amended. So now you know, you, you're in the paperwork stage, and you're, you're selecting uh, the information that you have that complies with the state's list. Then you pay a fee. Depends on the state. Some of the fees are below $100. Some are below $150. Some are a little more. But I would say on average, you're looking at somewhere between $95 to $150, sometimes a little bit more, to file a company to start an LLC. Um, you've got to pay attention, especially if you're doing it online, to what the prompts on the screen say. For example, it might ask you what type of business. Is it a services business? Is it a contracting business? So just pay attention and go through it step by step. You can do it. Once you're there and you've now filed your company, most states will have the ability to also get you your federal tax identification number off of their filing screen, okay, because you need to have a company. You need to be registered in the state where you're going to do business. Then, whether you have employees or not, you're going to need to apply for your federal employment identification number. And there's a link generally from your state site to the federal government site where you can apply for that. It's free. It's relatively easy to get. But you need that before you can go and open up a bank account or transact business. You need to have that information. Now, you've registered your business, obviously selected your name, you've got your federal tax identification number. Now what? Well, now you need to open a bank account so that you can start 
separating your money because, you know, with an LLC, you want to make sure that you have your personal funds separate from your business funds. Uh, it, it avoids issues where someone who files a lawsuit against you may want to pierce the corporate veil. Uh, we'll explain that in another show. But essentially, it protects you from being personally liable. So, you know, always to the extent you can, keep your money separate. Oftentimes, accountants will tell you with an LLC that it's okay to keep it all together um, because for tax purposes, it all comes off of your um, your, your personal tax returns as a, an additional schedule that's attached. And that leads me into the next point. You should get an accountant and an attorney right from the beginning. You don't need to necessarily use them right away, but find them. Okay, do your homework. Find somebody that you can talk to. Find an attorney that you feel comfortable with, somebody that you can call up. They're not going to charge you $150,000 you know, because you have a 10-minute question. Somebody that you can deal with, that you understand, that understands you. Somebody that knows business, not somebody who is you know, an elder care attorney. Find that attorney. Get them on board. Make them part of your team so that as you progress and as your business grows, you're going to have some support. Same with an accountant. Find somebody that you like right away, somebody that you can connect with, somebody that understands the nature of your business and can help you. The worst thing to do is to get behind with your financial records and your taxes and that sort of thing. It's a, it's a big hole to try to climb out of. So do these things in the beginning. Now, we're still in phase two, right? Now you need to figure out your location. In phase one, right, under the, the where question, you've determined where you're going to start your business. Let's assume for a minute that you are going to find an office space to rent. Well, what do you have to do? You've got to obviously go, identify the space, and now you need to apply uh, in the town. Beyond getting the lease with the landlord, you need to go, and most towns throughout the country will, will require you to either appear at a hearing, and hearing sounds like a scary thing, but really it's just a meeting, uh, and they'll take your application for a certificate of occupancy or the equivalent, and then they'll vote on it. Now, for the most part, uh, I have not seen many businesses be turned down. The only time that I've seen a business be turned down is if there's a specific zoning issue or if the business is, let's say, an adult-oriented business and a town might not want it. Um, in our town, they're fighting over whether or not a 24-hour convenience store can be opened in a particular area. Those sorts of things are different. But if you're just a, a professional services person or you're a photographer or you are a retail establishment, you, you've got to go to the town and you get your approvals, but it's a painless process. Sometimes you have to take an attorney with you. But if you do what I say and you get your team together at the beginning, it's not going to be a big deal. All right. Let's move on past phase two and get into phase three. Now, you've got your business set up. You've team together. You've got a location. Now let's talk logistically. What do you do? Well, you need furniture. You need equipment. You need to have some sort of decor, right? You need to decorate it. You need to figure out what is your business? Are there going to be people coming into your office? What do you want your office to say about you? Unfortunately, the world is such that people make 
judgments of, of, uh, you know, about other people based upon what they see. You know, I've, I've had so many clients come in and say, oh, I went to attorney uh, B down the street, and my God, his office was such a mess. I don't know how he gets any paperwork done, and that's why I didn't want to go with him. I was afraid he was going to lose all my documentation. Maybe he's a great attorney. Maybe not. But that's, you know, we, we all judge books by their cover. So you have to decide what you want your space to say about you. So you need office equipment. Do you need to go out and spend all of your money on top-notch office equipment? Well, it depends on your business. If you are a graphic designer, you might want to spend more money on computers and printers and that sort of thing. But if you're an accountant, do you need to go out and spend, um, you know, $2,200 on a very fancy printer when all you're generally going to be printing is black and white documents? No. So you need to identify your needs and don't get sucked into the world of, I need to have a giant copy machine, I need to lease this, I need to lease that. Go slow. Don't put so much money into your office equipment that you end up paying it and not making any profit. Okay? Take your time. See what you need. Meet your needs when you first start. Then as you start making money, start to upgrade. But don't get caught in this, this circle of, oh, my God, I need all this expensive stuff right now. You could very inexpensively go and purchase enough equipment to start your business. There are certain things that you definitely need to have. If you're going to have a business, would I recommend an inkjet printer? No. You need to have a laser printer. So I'm not talking about cheaping out on everything, but I'm suggesting that you see what you need and then take it one step at a time and then expand as money starts coming in. Because what good is top-of-the-line equipment going to do you if you don't have any clients who will benefit from your equipment? So that's something you've got to just take your time with. Office furniture is the same thing. Office furniture, well, you may be able to get a tax deduction for it. It becomes an asset. And it, it's something that has a diminishing value the minute you put it in your office, right? It's just not going to retain its, its value. So that's something that you have to be aware of. Now, I uh, want to take a break for a second because I believe we've got Michael Dudell with us. So I'd like to bring him on the line and we can talk to him. So let's see if Michael's here. Michael, is that you? Yeah, hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for being on again. Um, My pleasure. I introduced you. Me. Absolutely. We introduced you at the beginning of the show. I don't know if you were uh, with us, but, um, you know, everybody knows about you. Um, we referenced the show that you were on. And before you go, if you could give your contact information, that would be great. But what we've been talking about today is more of the, uh, the practical side of starting a business. When you and I were, were talking last time, it was more on an esoteric level, decisions to start a business and that sort of thing. But today we're getting into kind of the nitty-gritty. So we've talked about the planning phase. We've talked about the actual implementation, filing a company, uh, finding your team, your location. And we were just now talking about office equipment and office furniture. And, you know, the, the fact that you don't need to go out and spend a tremendous amount of money on office equipment, you need to make sure that it meets your needs 
but you shouldn't get sucked into this, this world of I need the best right off the bat. So would you be able to talk a little bit about what you believe, practically speaking, some of the things that you need to do when you're starting a business should be from a hands-on approach? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll just weigh in um, quickly on sort of what you were talking about before as far as office equipment and getting set up. I mean, any good entrepreneur will tell you that keeping overhead low is absolutely crucial. Um, No matter what stage you're in for your company and sort of its development, it's important that you are aware of overhead, and especially when you're starting to keep it as low as possible. I'm a huge fan of co-working. Um, My office is out of a WeWork, which is uh, one of the leading co-working spaces in the country and probably soon to be the world. And I I have nothing but great things to say about WeWork and and about co-working in general. And so for me, it makes the most sense. I mean, it's a great way to connect with community, to share resources, and to keep that overhead at a place where you can feel comfortable and that you can grow sort of in your own time. Um, So that's what I would say quickly, just, just following up on what you were talking about before. Um, your question about can you can you repeat the original question for me? Yeah, I'd like to go through what you believe, practically speaking, uh, some of the the things that people should be focusing on with respect to starting a business. Not so much should I start it, but what do I need to do? Um, if you want to pick up where where I was leaving off, we can certainly do that. Talking about um, the office equipment because I wanted to get into what I like to call phase four which is the development of your client base and the marketing and that sort of thing. So I'm going to leave it up to you how you want to proceed, if you want to go through your ideas or if you want to just pick up on on my topics and continue. I'm going to leave that up to you. Yeah, sure. I'll just very quickly weigh in on the high-level idea, and then we can continue on the conversation you're having. Uh, Essentially, it's this. You have to be passionate not only about what you're doing and, and the company that you're creating, but also about running the company. And those are actually two different things. So you can love your product and you can love your service. But, again, you have to take it one step further. And you have to say to yourself, do I love the actual running of the business? Because that part is just as crucial. And so a lot of entrepreneurs get involved in, in a business or an idea because they're fueled by that business or idea. But they forget the second piece. So I'll just say, just to sort of piggyback on everything you've said thus far, Um, it's important to sit back and say, you know, am I really going to enjoy the day-to-day operations of this business? Because the fact of the matter is, for most entrepreneurs, at least at the beginning, they have to focus both on the big picture and on the day-to-day. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, one thing that uh, is interesting is is that you said, um, you know, working on the business, developing the business. And I don't know, I'm sure you've read uh, the uh, E-Myth books. Have you seen them? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, everybody should really pick these up. They're really great books. Uh, And the one thing that I really love about those books is that it talks about the fact that you need to be working not necessarily for your business, for your company, but on your company, on your business. And you mentioned operations, and I just want to highlight that, I mean, what you're talking about is – If you're going to start a business, at some point, you can't be working for yourself. You need to be working on your business. You don't want to always be an employee of your business, but instead, you want to have people, ultimately, whether you're a landscaper or an architect or an accountant, you ultimately want to have people that are there to support you so that you can work on growing and developing your business versus just working for yourself as a boss. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's different for different types of businesses that come at a different time. 
I think knowing that from the beginning at least you're going to be doing most of the work and that you're going to reach a point, hopefully, where you're able to expand and you're able to bring on a team, that's the goal. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, perhaps forget that that first year, two years, depending on the type of business, you're doing everything. You're, you know, from mopping the floors to accounting to, you know, you're the, you're the CEO, COO, CFO, you're all of it most of the time. And so I think you just have to think about that. You have to remember that, you know, running a business isn't just about the sexy part, which is the product or service, but it's also about maybe some of the, the more daunting day-to-day tasks, the operations. And that's something that you need to be prepared for when you start. You know, I'm really a big fan of planning. I'm a big planner. Um, and, and I think it's important when you're growing a business that you don't just focus on what's right in front of you, but that you have a strategic plan both for the year and maybe going even further. However, I will say this, is that you have to know when to take the left turn. That's crucial. And if you're so much of a planner that you can't see what's right in front of you and you can't, um, you're, not, you're not sharp, not sharp, but maybe wise enough or flexible enough, that's probably a better word, to understand when it's important to take that left turn, you're going to miss some opportunities. So while a plan is important, you also have to be willing to be flexible in that plan. Yeah, I think that that's a very important point. Um, Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, has has often given the analogy of, um, you know, successful business development is like flying an airplane. They're going to get from point A to point B, but during the course of that journey, they're rarely 100% on target. They have to make adjustments throughout the course of the flight to get you to point B. And it's the same thing with the business. You need to have, and I think that we touched on this last time, talking about what sort of characteristics you need. Flexibility is, is critical because not only might the market change, but you might need to change to meet the needs of your individual clients and customers. So flexibility is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's important for all entrepreneurs to recognize that there is real value in planning, but only if you have that flexible mindset and that you're able to adjust when it's necessary. Yeah, earlier in the show I was talking about business plans, and I am not a believer that you need to have a formalized 22-page business plan. I think you need to have some direction, some idea. I prefer it to be written down because then it becomes more tangible. But I think that if you write ideas down and come up with a roadmap, you know, you can be more flexible than some of these standardized here's your 25-page business plan that I downloaded from the Internet. I don't see as much value in that, and I don't see as much ability to be flexible. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I think most of the time for for many types of businesses, uh, a traditional business plan isn't necessary. And here's why. I mean, people fill the business plan with assumptions and guesses and projections, and that's all good and well. But the fact of the matter is a projection is a projection. I'd rather somebody spend, you know, of course think about planning, but spend that time and spend that energy actually working on the business and, and selling their product. Um, I think we're in an age where, again, you know, information and technology has, has changed the way that we run businesses, that we run our lives. And I think it's, it's changed some of the, the foundational um, things like business plans. I think some of those elements are gone and, um, and they've been refined. So I, I agree with you on that. I think it's better to get out and actually do the work. Yeah, I, I think that uh, is something that, you know, people have to get away from. Uh, at the top of the show, I was reading through some uh, websites, entrepreneur and SBA.gov, you know, and they've got a lot of these formalized things. And it, it just, 
some of it seems to be antiquated. I think that business is developing so rapidly because of technology that, you know, you, you really, if I were giving advice to a, a startup business, I would say talk to people in your field who are already successful as opposed to just relying on available sources on the Internet. I think there's a benefit to doing that. Yeah, I mean, half the battle is, is learning the information and the other half is executing it. And for some people, uh, they're better learners than they are executors. For others, they're better executors than learners. I mean, for me, I've never been great at traditional learning. I am somebody who only learns when he, when he does, when he takes action. And so, you know, my background from an education perspective isn't traditional because that just wasn't how I did my best work. Um, I do better by just working as fast as I can and putting stuff out there. And I think luckily for people like that, um, we're at a we're at a point in, in our society and culturally that it's that's possible, and sometimes that's actually a benefit to think and to act like that. Yeah, I think so too. Um, let's talk for a second about uh, I want to you know just finalize this phase three discussion we were talking about uh, logistically office equipment and furniture and that sort of thing. Um, let's talk about employees and policies, and then get into the final phase. Uh, we can talk about marketing a bit, but. The decision to whether or not you know you need to hire employees really, in my opinion, depends upon the type of business that that you're going to be starting and your ability to carry or pay for those employees. What do you think about determining whether or not you need an employee, you know, in any sort of startup business, whether it's professional services, landscaping, contracting? What do you think about employees? Well, look, I've never met an entrepreneur that said, "Gosh, I really couldn't use some extra help." I, everyone needs the help. I think everyone would love to have an employee or a team of employees that are there to help support and grow the business. But not everyone's ready for that. Not every company is ready for that. I think, to your point, it's important to think, you know, is this a responsibility that I can take on? Um, is this something that not only I'm ready for this month, but that I'm ready for for the next, you know, year or so? Because you have to think. A lot of people are going to be either leaving the jobs they have or they're going to be depending on you. And with that responsibility, it comes, uh, comes, can be a lot of stress if you're not ready for it. So I think you have to think about it from that perspective. Am I ready to, to bring on a team and commit to that? I think that's one. But I also think that you have to step back and you have to say, you know, is this employee crucial to the business? So a great example from, from the book, you know, Barbara Corcoran's really big on hiring employees as fast as you can. For her, that was a motivator as she was growing her business. So she said, listen, I knew she was in the real estate in the world for a very long time. And she said, listen, I knew that the more people I could bring on, the more salespeople, the more my company would grow and the more that would contribute to the bottom line. And that was key for her. So she spent all of her original money not investing it, not saving it. Not, she put it all towards hiring employees because the fact is they were the ones that were increasing the bottom line. So if you're in a business where that's the case, yeah, maybe you're going to want to hire an employee sooner than another company where, you know, if they're just doing admin tasks or if they're, you know, doing working on projects that are higher level, uh, big picture, probably not as necessary. So you have to think about the what. You have to think about the why. Yeah, I, I agree. Don't just go out and, and hire an employee because it makes you feel better. You know, you, you, you spoke about uh, affecting other people's lives, and it's it's really a responsibility. It's something that don't be selfish and think I can bring somebody in and then fire them a month later because you are impacting these people's lives. It's not just about you. Uh, you need to think about that. 
But then again, don't just hire somebody simply because you want the company or you need somebody to do some you know, tasks that you can accomplish on your own. I think you really need to take some analysis of what you're doing, where you're going. The Barbara Corcoran example, um, that's a good one because there she is in an industry where you can't go out and show 42 houses if you're one person or businesses. You know, you right. need to have that staff to go do that for you. Um, you know, but like, like, let's say you're starting a landscaping business. You might only need yourself at first and then maybe another guy or two. So I think you have to take stock of what your business requirements are and don't bring somebody in because you're lonely. Right, and you have to remember that, you know, for Barbara, you, you do get a base pay, but most of your pay when you're in real estate is commission if you're selling. So it wasn't that much of a risk for her to take because it wasn't like she was, you know, giving them $100,000. She was giving them a base pay and then commission based on sales. And, of course, right. if, if they sell, she's going to make money as well. So I think that that's an important thing to remember. I also think that you need to keep sort of perspective as far as what you need to bring a full-time employee on for and when you can use a freelancer or when you can use sort of a one-off platform like TaskRabbit or there are various others that allow you to hire someone for a very short-term project, a couple hours, um, one, you know, again, like I said, just a one-off deal. And you don't have to take on that responsibility financially. Uh, and it's a great way to, to, to get some, some help and some support when you need it without feeling like you're burdened by it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the one thing that I want to caution people about is the use of unpaid interns, because 10 years ago, everyone was hiring interns, they weren't paying them, and they were, you know, kind of using them to do the work that they needed for free. And the government's really kind of cracked down on that. That's something that, um, you know, you really can't get away with in this day and age, bringing on unpaid interns. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, well, my personal opinion, I don't actually know how I feel about that. I've gone back and forth. Obviously, from a legal perspective, you shouldn't do it. You can't, so that's the end of that. Um, from a philosophical perspective, I mean, I don't know. I think that, yes, people should be paid a fair wage. I think that there's also something to be said for, you know, sort of starting out and doing what needs to be done and going to that period where you're maybe not making a lot of money. I guess not making any money is unfair, but you're not making a lot of money, and it's an exercise. It's a test, I think, in some ways. I also feel like a lot of people who, you know, did internships and started their career that way, not making any money, say, oh, gosh, you know, I did it. I, I sacrificed. I figured out how to, you know, work an intern job during the day and then wait tables at night. I, you know, personally, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. I think that it, it teaches you how to work hard. It gives you a little bit of um, extra condition some. That being said, I recognize that it's not um, legal and, and not something that is really looked uh, well upon. And so whenever I bring on interns, I pay them. Yeah, I, you know, I have to tell you, though, personally, I agree with, with the unpaid internship. When I was you know, out of college and, and looking for jobs, I was actually going to the communications field. And uh, you know, I had an unpaid internship with a, with a television network. And I gained more knowledge and experience out of that unpaid internship than I did four years of college. And so I think that if, as long as you're not being taken advantage of, I mean, we don't want this to be some sort of slave labor or indentured servitude, but you can get so much information from taking an internship. And I, I say that because while, yes, it's, it's not legal to not pay somebody, if you can find an internship 
where the pay is relatively low, but the experience that you're going to gain from it is just so tremendous, it's well worth that investment, I think. Yeah, and from an employer perspective, I mean, whenever I bring on an intern, I am really, really dedicated to the idea that, you know, I'm not paying them as much as I would pay somebody else, and so I need to be adding value in other ways to their life and their career. And so even if I find a great person who I think would be a wonderful worker, if I feel like I can't add value, if I feel like they're legitimately not going to learn a lot or have great experiences with me, I won't bring them on. I feel like there's a responsibility when you're an employer to make sure that you take care of your people, and that includes um, interns as well. So I think it's an important thing for the other side to consider as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the key here is that as an employer, you need to be fair you need to be honest, and you need to think about how your actions impact everybody else. Because, you know, if you were the nastiest person alive and you hired 100 people, when they leave, because they will, when they feel taken advantage of, when they feel that you have used them, they're going to tell other people, you're going to develop a name in the, in the industry, whatever it might be, and you're not going to get those people, I can tell you that from, a, from a, a legal standpoint, there are a number of law firms in New York and New Jersey where you know that they're, they're quote-unquote sweatshops. They'll take a new attorney, they'll chew them up, use them for a year, spit them out. They don't care. You know, so I think that the key is to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. And I know it's a simple um, you know, rule, but I think that's an important rule to follow. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the long game. I think a lot of people – Everything in our culture is so fast. It's so fast-paced. Everyone's sort of in a million different directions, and it's easy to lose sight on, on the long game. But I think always playing the short game and doing what's necessary right at the moment and not thinking strategically about you know, what it is that you want to build and how you want to build it is a mistake uh, pretty much every time. And that's a great example of that kind of mistake. You know, A reputation is something that stays with you forever, and it is your most valuable asset. Your business might change, but who you are will not. And so building that strong foundation of, of integrity is important um, for your business and for your life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing before we, we jump into the marketing phase, um, I think that it's important at any level. You might not necessarily need an employee handbook per se if you only have one employee, but you do need to have policies. They could be simple policies, but you need to have some formalized procedure so that you can, you know, bring somebody in, train them as to the policies and procedures, and then if something were to happen, if they were to quit, you could bring somebody else in, show them the policies and procedures, and not lose too much time. Because let's face it, I mean, people do move on. Even if you're really great to somebody, they move on. They find a different opportunity. Having policies in place can help you with that transition. What do you think about policies for small businesses? Yeah, again, I think it depends on the small business. I think that culture is more important now than it's ever been. I think people are recognizing that creating a great culture is crucial to, you know, sort of not only getting talent, acquiring talent, but retaining talent. Um, I think that having a, a set of, of rules and guidelines is an important part of a, a small business. But, again, it depends on the type of business. And it's not template, you know, sort of, policies and procedures. It's not something that you're going to go online and that you're going to find and you're going to print out and you're going to you know, use in your business. I think it's crucial that when you create any sort of best practice, it's something that is 
you know, deeply your own and inherently meaningful to the company. So, again, this isn't something – there's a lot of stuff you can find online where you can go and you can print out, you can apply it. I, you know, when it comes to things like that, when it comes to, to key matters of culture, I think it's something that you have to create on your own because it's your business and, and, it's, and it's, your, it's, it's, your, it's your baby. Yeah, and that's the point where we see people calling in for either legal assistance or business consulting, and they don't want to spend the time and money. They'd rather download a stock template from the Internet, and I try to tell them the same things that you've just highlighted. This is individualized. You can't go online and take a policy and procedure handbook from a company that's similar to yours and expect that it's going to work for you, not if, not if you want it to be successful. So you need to take that time. You know, go out, hire a business consultant, hire an attorney. You don't need to spend tens of thousands of dollars. Find somebody that you can work with, and that speaks to the point of developing your team early on. You can find the right people where you're not spending a tremendous amount of money. But when it comes down to something like policies and procedures, get some help. Don't just take it from somebody else. It's very individualized like you identified. Yeah. Um, what I'd like to do now, we've got about 10 minutes left. I'd like to just move into the final phase. You know, when you've moved through all of this and now you're an established business, now it comes down to the point where you've got to work on marketing. And marketing has changed so dramatically over the years. You know, it used to be everybody had a, a Yellow Pages ad. Now if you ask a lot of yellow, uh, young entrepreneurs what the Yellow Pages are, half of them don't know what it, what it is. Half of them say it's an online website. So traditional marketing has changed. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And um, I think the benefit now that we see is that young companies, startup companies, can rely on the Internet and find some cheaper alternatives to traditional marketing. So let's talk first about traditional marketing. We're talking about print. What do you think? Do you, is that dead at this point? I mean, I'm not so sure that I would say it's dead. I think it's probably dead for a lot of businesses. You know, again, when we're thinking about the kind of businesses we're seeing today, tech startups, all these different kinds of um, businesses that are really successful online, of course, traditional stuff is not going to be as effective. There are some businesses, probably more antiquated in their model, that it makes sense to go the traditional route. But for most people, for most businesses, it's probably not very necessary. I mean, you know, to your point about the yellow pages, I think that's all but dead. Um, there are, you know, television, radio, um, traditional print. Yeah, for some businesses, those make a little bit of sense. Usually if it's geared around some big event or if it's geared around you know, some big seasonal promo and you have the budget to do that. But that's what you have to remember is that most entrepreneurs are trying to get the most out of a dollar. And when you look at the opportunities you have online versus, and then you, you, of course you factor in engagement as well, versus the opportunities you have in sort of a traditional funnel, it's going to make a lot of sense for most entrepreneurs to go a digital marketing route. Yeah, and you know, when you're talking about print advertising, it surprises me every time I either look into it for our firm, or we see other people that we're assisting in the development of their business, some of these print ads are so expensive, even on the local level. You're talking about, you know, we work with a, with a gentleman who has a, um, like a therapy business, and he spent $1,000 for a one-month run of a back page ad in a local three-town, you know, magazine that comes out. That's a lot right. of money for a, yeah. a brand-new business. 
I mean, with any marketing effort, it's about knowing your audience, and it's about putting yourself in the mindset of your audience and knowing where they, um, where they go, where they absorb information, where they uh, spend their time. And for most, especially some of these young tech companies we're seeing, putting an ad in the back of a local paper is probably not going to draw in the audience and the clientele that they want. Yeah. So, all right, if we've now established that that's something that's individualized for the business, but you've got to look at it as – um, I, I think something to, to enter into with caution before just going and you know buying an ad in a newspaper. That leaves us with online marketing. What can you tell us about your thoughts concerning online marketing and, and a small new business? Yeah, I mean I think it's like anything. If you if you spend some time figuring out how to make it relevant to your business, your industry, your strengths, it's an incredibly powerful tool. I mean. We keep going back to technology, but you can't talk about business today without talking about technology because it's, it's leveled the playing field. It's allowed people of all different backgrounds and industries and ideas to get involved because it's cut out in many ways the middleman. You know, if you want to, it's up to you. If you want to use social uh, to engage with your audience, you can find a way to do it. Now, again, it's not, it's not a template. It's not going to be the same for every company. But you can find ways to engage with your audience and get to know your audience better by using things like social, social, by using things like Google Ads, all of that stuff. I mean, there's, there's a world out there of opportunity. The question is how much do you want to invest, how much time and energy do you want to spend, and how comfortable are you sort of learning this new architecture? Yeah, it, it, there is definitely a learning curve because people think of social media and they think about it in its original form, which is, hey, let's keep in touch with family and friends. But the business model of social networking is a little bit different. And it's, it's, you know, it's not something where you can go on Facebook and just start talking about yourself and promoting your, your, your you know, ideas or product. It really is an interactive trying to, to draw people in to what you're doing and to engage them more than just a you know, one-dimensional billboard for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And you meet a lot of entrepreneurs, especially perhaps older entrepreneurs that aren't as native in these tools as the younger generation. And they say, gosh, you know, it's so intimidating. I don't know how to do it. Um, and there's a lot of fear there. And then there's no real argument. It's, it's the fact is that technology, this kind of marketing is going to be around for a really long time. Digital is now the new pretty much everything. And yeah. it will continue to pay dividends if you learn. So there might be some fear. There might be some um, uncertainty, but when it comes down to it, it's really crucial that you invest the time and energy into understanding your opportunities because the fact is there's just a lot out there that you can do. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, it goes without saying websites are essential, not just nice to have, but essential. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, if you're going to – it doesn't make a difference. I, I know a lot of older people who are retiring from their careers and they want to start their own business – They'll come and they'll say, oh, that stuff's not for me. It has to be for you. So it doesn't make a difference if you're 18 starting a business or if you're 67. You've got to embrace it. And, you know, there's so much material out there. You can watch YouTube videos. You can read books. There's people you can hire to teach you. Um, just as an aside, you know, in your field as, as a motivational speaker, as a consultant, is this the sort of thing that your firm engages in with, you know, teaching people that sort of skill? 
Um, I'm not so sure if it's teaching. It's generally, you know, going into companies and helping them understand how to communicate and how to brand themselves online. And that's through social. That's through a variety of different ways. Um, it, again, it's, it's less about teaching and more about helping them come up with a strategy and implement. That's, that's the crucial part. So if you're talking about somebody who has no knowledge, what would you tell them to do first? You want to learn about social networking and, and online advertising. What would you suggest they do first? Because obviously I mean, going to someone like yourself. Reading. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. The, the first thing is to start just reading. So you can go online and find stuff. But I really like the dummies books for this kind of stuff because it's written in a way that's designed for people who don't have any idea at all on how to even talk about it, get some sort of you know, basic foundational learning. And so books like the dummies books, books like the, all of the 101 guides to sort of Internet marketing and digital marketing and social, for, for people that understand social media in a, in a relatively comprehensive way, yeah, those books aren't going to be necessary. But if you're talking about somebody who really doesn't have a good sense of what it means to communicate and to engage online, it's going to be crucial that they start from the very beginning so they can build on that knowledge. So it's about reading. You know, I, I, we talked about this the last time. You know, my education in business is entirely you know, self-made. I, I say that meaning that I – spent a lot of time reading, I spent a lot of time doing, I spent a lot of time asking questions, and I think that if you're able to do that, no matter what it is, you're able to accomplish a lot, and that goes for digital marketing. All right, so we're running out of time. I want to make sure that people know where they can find you if they want to hire you or your firm and, and have questions. So where can people find you, Michael? Yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter, speaking of digital marketing. Um, my username there is at NotoriousMPD. My initial is Michael Parrish Dudell. Um, and you can also find me, of course, um, on my website, long name, michaelparrishdudell.com, or just Google me. That's an easy way to find me. No one else has the name, so uh, you'll find me right away. All right, Michael, I'd like to thank you for being on again. I definitely think that this helps people understand. We had a lot of positive feedback after the last show. So I expect the same uh, after this show. So I'd like to thank you again for being on with us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right, Michael. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so uh, you know that's going to bring today's show to an end. I hope that uh, you had some general overview as to the practicalities of starting a business. And I encourage you, if you want to learn more, if you have questions, give us call nine seven. 949-3770. Be happy to answer your questions. Um, you know, we do answer questions on a daily basis, and, and you know, I think it's important to ask. So give us a call, or you could email me, info, I-N-F-O at PeterLamontESQ.com. We'll try to answer your questions as quickly as possible. I'd like you to um, put on your calendar this Thursday. We have a very good show coming up, 10 o'clock with Lori Cheek. She is the founder and CEO of Cheek, so please join us on Thursday. All right, we've got to go. Remember that there's power in understanding the world.